0: Pastor Chris's podcast. So today is the first Sunday of Advent. Advent is a season of waiting and preparation. We are preparing for Christmas, the celebration of Jesus' birth, but we are also waiting for the second coming of Christ as it was promised that Jesus would return to judge the living and the dead and to right all that is wrong in the world. Then God recreated the heavens and the earth and we will live with God forever in paradise. But in the meantime, we're waiting. Waiting is an important part of God's plan for his people. It can feel like nothing happens while you're waiting, but something is happening. God is at work when you wait. It can feel like nothing's happening, But God is at work. And in this series, we will examine what happened to God's people in the period between the completion of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament while they waited for the Messiah to be born. This series is also designed to help you in those times when you feel like you're stuck and you're waiting for something important to happen. The Bible is divided into the Old Testament and into the New Testament. The Old Testament primarily deals with God's covenant with Israel. The New Testament primarily deals with God's covenant to all people everywhere, made possible through God's only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus was the Messiah that the Old Testament Jews longed for and were waiting for. As we study this, I want to go through a quick overview of the Old Testament very quickly. First, there was Abraham. And if you ever wondered, when did all of these things happen? Abraham is a good one to begin with because it's easy to remember. Because I don't know about you, but probably I was born in the 1900s and probably most of you here today were born in the 1900s. Or maybe you were born right after the turn of the millennia. Abraham was also born in the 1900s or lived in the 1900s, but the 1900s B.C. So if you can think about how long it has been since Christ was on the earth, it was about that long back prior to that when Abraham was on the earth. But there's first there was Abraham. And then about 400 years later, one of his descendants, Joseph, went down to Egypt. And there the Israelites became slaves. And they were slaves in Egypt for about 400 years. And then Moses came and he delivered the Israelites around 1300 B.C. Another 400 years passed and the Israelites found themselves living in the Promised Land and God appointed David to be king of the Israelites. And then his son Solomon was king. That was around 900 B.C. And then just as the United States experienced a civil war between the north and the south. The kingdom of Israel also experienced a civil war between the north and the south. This north, Samaria, fought against the south, Judea. And the kingdom was divided into the northern kingdom, Samaria, and the southern kingdom, Judea. And we get the name Jew from Judea in the southern kingdom. Then in 586 B.C., the Southern kingdom was conquered by Babylon, and all of the Jews that lived there were taken away into captivity in Babylon. This was in 586 B.C., and they spent about 70 years living in exile in Babylon before the king of Persia granted that they could return to Jerusalem and rebuild the city and rebuild the temple in 515 B.C. And then the Old Testament came to a close with the book of Malachi about 475 B.C. And there were many books and things that were written and lots of things happened, but none of it was considered inspired by God to the point that it should be included in the Bible. And so there is a period of about 400 years between the finishing of the Old Testament and the time when Jesus was born and the New Testament. The New Testament details those events of the first century after Christ was born. But what happened during the 400 years or so between the Old Testament and the New Testament? We will be studying that over the next several weeks. But we will find also today a clue in the book of Nehemiah, which was written close to the end of the Old Testament. And I want to read to you from chapter 9 of Nehemiah, verses 36 and 37. This was written about 515 B.C. Now, today, we are slaves in the land of plenty that you gave our ancestors for their enjoyment. We are slaves here in this good land. The lush produce of this land piles up in the hands of kings whom you have set over us because of our sin. They have power over us, And our livestock. We serve them at their pleasure, and we are in great misery. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Nehemiah was living as one of the conquered Jewish exiles in Persia. He was actually the cupbearer to the king of Persia. When the king of Persia decided to let the Jewish exiles return home to Jerusalem, and they began to come back. And the king of Persia, Artaxerxes, commissioned Nehemiah to go back to Jerusalem and to help oversee the rebuilding of the city and the temple. And so the Jews of this time had a lot of great hopes in their hearts. They were going to get to go home back to their homeland. Some of them thought maybe they'd never see it again or or maybe they had never seen it again. Maybe they had been born in Persia and their parents and their grandparents had told them stories about how wonderful it was to be God's chosen people living in Jerusalem, worshiping at God's temple there. And so now they are returning home and they have this great expectation of hope. Returning, They're hoping to come home and to, to have religious freedom to worship God again and not to have to live in a pagan nation where people do strange things and eat strange food and are constantly pressuring them to worship other gods. They're going home to Jerusalem, the Holy Land, to worship their God. And they're hoping that maybe Jerusalem will be able to return to the glory days of Solomon when there was such peace and prosperity and where Israel was a place that had influence uh, on all of the regions around them. But it was not to be. Not fully. Their their hopes were not fully realized. Yes, they did begin to rebuild the city. Yes, they even rebuilt the temple. But it tells us in in Nehemiah that when when they dedicated the temple... Many of the people who were there actually wept. Why is it that they wept? Well, of course, part of it could have been they were weeping full of emotion at seeing a temple that they could worship again. But many, it says, wept because they remembered how glorious the temple had been before it was destroyed. And what they saw before them now just didn't live up to their hopes and their expectations It just wasn't as glorious as they had hoped it would be or as it once was. The reality was that these Jews that came home to live in the promised land were slaves in their land. They were not completely independent. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 36 says they were slaves in the land. They lived in Jerusalem, but they remained vassals and were subjugated to more powerful kingdoms around them. Those king, the kingdoms that were in power would change from century to century, but always it was someone outside who had the power. and The people of Jerusalem were always subjected to them. And so throughout the 400 to 500 year period between the Old and New Testaments, the Jews were passed around between the various empires that rose to power in the region. They were not treated with dignity or respect. They were merely pawns in an international chess match. They were disposable, vulnerable, and a commodity to be used by more powerful people. The people in the regions around them, say for instance in Persia or in Egypt, they were interested in what was happening in Israel, but It was not because they cared about the people in Israel. It's because you fought your foreign wars in Israel. If Egypt was fighting against Persia, they didn't want to fight in Egypt, and they certainly didn't want to fight in Persia, so they would meet in the middle in Israel. And whoever controlled Israel, controlled the routes of trade, controlled the resources that everybody needs to live, these powerful kingdoms used Israel. It was almost like what we see in our world today when we look at the Middle East. And all of the powerful empires of the world care about whether terrorism is going to be fought in the homeland or whether it's going to be fought in Iraq. Or whether we're going to have to pay $3.50 for gas or whether we're going to have to pay $2 a gallon for gas. All depends upon what's happening over there in that place. And we're not, most of us, thinking about the, the little girl or the little boy that has to get up and go to school and go to work and all of those things in those foreign lands. What are we caring about is what's happening here. And, and a lot of times, even today in politics, um, the Middle East just becomes a thing that is used. And that was certainly the case during the 400 years between the writing of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. And during this time, Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 37 says, we serve them at their pleasure and we are in great misery. And that about sums up the Jewish people's lives during that 400-year experience from the time that they returned from exile until the time when Jesus was born, the entire period between the Old and New Testament. And during that time, It seemed as if God was silent. God didn't, whereas God had spoken to prophets previously Micah and Malachi, Isaiah and Jeremiah were constantly, all of the prophets of the Bible were constantly speaking to the people. And they they discerned that these prophets spoke under the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit. And they knew that God was speaking through them so that they wanted to write down and collect what these prophets were saying. And they did, and they placed those in the Old Testament of your Bible. But during that 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, no one spoke with such authority and power and inspiration that the people thought, we must include these words in the Bible. So it seemed as if God were be- was being silent. Now, this wasn't the first time that it seemed like God was being silent. We've seen that before in the Old Testament. God, wasn't, God didn't speak during those times that the Israelites spent 400 years in slavery in Egypt before Moses delivered them. But at least at that time, you know, at least this time, these, they were slaves in their own land. They weren't living in Egypt. They were living in Israel but they were still experiencing a type of slavery. Still, it's hard to be patient and to suffer and to wait on God when it seems like he's being silent and he doesn't care. God does care, but sometimes he has to let us wait and ripen until the time is right to fulfill his plan. And sometimes, God's Silence prepares us that it's like that pause when someone is speaking. That pause lets you know they're about to say something very important. God paused because he was about to speak the most important word he had ever spoken in Jesus Christ. But in the meantime, the Israelites had to wait. And we have to learn to be patient and wait on the Lord sometimes. Psalm 27 14 says, Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous, yet wait patiently for the Lord. And James 5 7 says, Dear brothers and sisters, and this is speaking to Christians in the New Testament, dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Even if you suffer while you wait, God can use it to bless you when you trust him and are faithful. God gives you time to think and to grow while you wait for the right opportunities and pass on the wrong ones. God helps you when you are really hungry and you are waiting for food. He teaches you that man does not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Waiting on God gives you time to realize that God is your only hope. The Israelites had to wait for 400 years before their Messiah came. But that 400 years was an important time for God to be at work in the hearts of His people. First of all, It gave them time to exhaust all of their own schemes and possibilities and realize that they were absolutely hopeless without God. Israel was a small, insignificant land stuck in between massively powerful empires. They were never going to have enough resources or a powerful enough army to dominate others or to even defend and maintain their own independence. Their only hope was the Lord. And so again and again and again, the Jews tried to establish their own kingdom by their own hands and their own methods. Maybe if we ally with this kingdom. Maybe if we do this political maneuver. Maybe if we do this or that. But again and again and again, they failed. By the time Jesus came... Most people realize that their only hope was the Lord. It would only be by the direct intervention of God Almighty that they would find salvation. The very name Messiah means the chosen one of God who is sent to save. Jesus is the Messiah. But what about you? Do you realize that your only hope is the Lord? It's easy to say that, maybe even to think that, but don't we still try? (laughs) We still try to do it on our own. We still come up with our little schemes and our little plans. Have you been trying to make your plans work by your own hands? Don't you realize that any kingdom you build, will not stand. It will fail. But the plans of the Lord last forever. So we have to learn to wait on the Lord, even if it means letting our plans go and letting God do His plan in His time. Second, The time of waiting between the Old and New Testament gave the Israelites time to discover their line in the sand. Since Israel had to compromise on many things in order to survive in a hostile world where all of these powerful kingdoms around them were in control, they really had to learn their core values. The essentials of what it means to be faithful to God what they can compromise, and that which they cannot compromise. You know, not everything is worth fighting for. But some things are. Some things maybe are even worth dying for. But mercy, don't get them confused. And die for something that's not really important. What about you? Do you know who you really are? Do you know what are your core values that you cannot compromise? What are the deal breakers for you? And how do you deal with people that cross the line? Romans chapter 12 verse 18 says, Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. That sounds good how do you live in peace with everyone? You can't always, every time, live in peace with some people. How do you live this out? How do you know when it's time to take a stand and when it's time to compromise? How do you avoid sin and honor God when you take a stand? Because if you take a stand in the wrong way, that could be a bad thing. It could even dishonor God. It could even be sin. So you have to do it the right way. Third, the time of waiting between the Old and New Testaments helped many Israelites grow closer to God. Waiting for something important can either drive you away from God or drive you closer to God. Some Israelites persisted in trying to build their own kingdoms. In the weeks ahead, we'll learn about some of the different political and religious groups in Israel and how they tried to build their own kingdoms in Israel and how that affected what happened when Jesus came. But there were also many people in Israel who were like the wise men who were looking to God and were growing closer to God. The wise men came from the east, searching for the Messiah that they were expecting. They were growing closer to God as they waited on God and trusted in His plan. There was also Simeon and a lady named Anna, two older people who who were in the temple in the second chapter of Luke, and that says that they were there day and night praying and waiting for the Messiah to come. And we see in them an example of those Israelites in that intertestamental period who were waiting on the Lord and were growing closer to Him and living by faith and trusting Him. How about you? How can you grow closer to God as you wait through prayer and study and fasting and service and worship and being faithful to the Lord? So as we come to the close of the message today, I want us to contemplate for a minute. How can you grow closer to the Lord as you prepare for Christmas? Because the season of Advent is a season of waiting and preparation. What will it take for you to finally realize that you are hopeless without God? I mean, not just know it intellectually but know it down deep in your soul. For some people, it takes something really tragic or life-threatening to really show them that they are hopeless without the Lord. But I pray that, that that would not be the case for most people. I don't want you to have to experience something that terrible simply to give you the insight that you're hopeless without God. And it doesn't have to be. There are things you can do to learn that even when life seems like it's all going well. And wouldn't that be much better? What will it take for you to finally realize that you are hopeless without God? And what are your core values? What What is it that's truly important to you? Things that are worth taking a bullet for. And what are you willing and able to compromise about? And what practical steps could you take during this next month before Christmas to truly begin to depend upon God more, to discover who you really are, and to prepare yourself for the coming of the Lord? Let's pause for a moment. Contemplate these things and pray.